Hey guys, welcome back to the Take a Seat, Not a Side podcast hosted by Kelsey and Brian Halverson. This is a couples podcast where we dive into all things pop culture with our own special twist. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us again, guys. It is going to be a good Sunday. NFL football just kicked off. Even though the Packers and Lions don't play until tomorrow night, um, we are going to enjoy some football. I am sitting here drinking a Green 19, the IPA from Titletown Brewery. And I am drinking, shockingly for me, uh, the Bent Tuba Oktoberfest. These are both beers that Jed talks about quite a bit in the interview you're about to hear. We actually just picked up six packs from the liquor store in West Bend, and they have Titletown as, I don't know if it's their brewery of the month or what, but they have four of their beers out on shelves, and if you buy two six-packs, you get a free pint glass. So we are here drinking out of pint glasses from Titletown Brewery. I had to um, explain to the cashier that I wasn't a crazed super fan since I was wearing my Titletown Brewery. Uh, t-shirt. A little awkward. A little awkward. As everyone knows, I'm not a huge fan of IPAs, but we talked about the tour last week, and this is the beer that we drank fresh out of the filter before it was even canned last week. And while I don't love IPAs, I love nostalgia, and this just kind of brings me back there. So Kelsey and I are going to sip on these drinks, watch some football, and hopefully you guys enjoy the interview. Okay, so as we said before, we are now sitting in the Titletown Brewing Building in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we are joined by Jed Petrie. He is the brewmaster here at Titletown Brewing. Um, Jed, you want to say hi? Hey, it's great to have you guys here today. Are we technically in Green Bay? Yep, yeah, we're in Green Bay right now. Technically the Broadway district. I'm very bad with directions, so. (laughs) So are you the only brewmaster here? Uh, at Titletown, yeah, that's what we have a couple different people in the brewery, but I just kind of do more of the recipe and the ordering and everything like that. But the cool thing is that at a brewery this size, you're going to do a lot of different stuff. So like in the last two days, I've gotten to sit in on a marketing meeting and make root beer and stock coolers and just kind of everything. So it's as much as the brewing and the recipe writing is the sometimes the most fun part or the best part, it's, there's a lot of stuff involved in it. So. Root beer? Yeah, yeah, we, we actually make our own root beer here. We uh, we have been for 20-something years now, and we actually use our founder's grandma's old recipe for making the root beer. So it's a pretty popular snow-capped root beer. I think we're going to have to try that today, too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, so what got you into brewing? Is it something you've always done, or is this something that you saw? So this story, it actually goes way back, because when I was 12 years old, my dad actually decided he was going to start homebrewing. And I just thought the process was really cool. And like, like, a, like a good dad, he didn't let me drink it right away, but I was just interested in the process and had fun just kind of helping him make it. And there's a lot of bottle rinsing, because anybody that does homebrewing knows that it's, it's 75% cleaning and 25% actually <laughs> brewing. And then, uh, and then just as I got more interested in it, I kept doing more and more stuff. And then as I got older, I started brewing my own stuff, 
homemaking my own stuff. And then I, high school, I got really interested in organic chemistry and got more into the actual reactions that are going on in the beer making process because it's it's art and it's cooking and it's also science. There's a lot of different kind of aspects of beer and you can get really into it or you can kind of get really on more on the cooking side of things. But being able to kind of see a lot of the different actual biochemical reactions going on is really cool. And then when I got into college and I actually went for biochemistry and I started off at uh, Oso Brewing Company up in Plover. So I got to help start the lab program there and had a lot of fun and worked with some really cool people there. And then after I graduated, then I had, we were actually just starting to expand from just our little 15 barrels brew pub system into our big production facility over here. So I got to be a big part of kind of transitioning over and I got to build the lab here and got to start on the quality control lab side of things and then just kind of move up from there. Yeah, this building that we're sitting in is a lot bigger than I expected. Um, you guys can't see it right now, but Kelsey is going to be posting pictures on the Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was actually way back in the day, it was a dairy, and a big chunk of this area was just one giant dairy. And then for a long time, it was the Larson Vegetable Cannery. And then it sat empty for, I believe, it was seven years that it sat empty and just kind of got pretty junky from uh, any building like this sitting empty for a long period of time. And then when we bought it, we got to totally redo it. And I think they did a really good job with kind of keeping the old school industrial feel. They kept a lot of the fans and windows and stuff like that for decorations, but still making it nice and new and clean and that kind of feel to it. So like uh, some of the cool stuff we have is right behind you guys. The big hole in the floor is actually because this room used to have a big crane in the middle of the room and uh, big steam pots surrounding it. And it would crane lift vegetables from one steam pot to another or to different conveyors so that's actually a hole where one of the steam pots sat and then we still have a gear over there from the bottom of the crate so they kept a lot of cool things like that to kind of keep with the history of the building that is awesome like nothing feels more like a craft brewery than something like that mm -hmm. that's a yeah and when you when we give you guys the tour you'll be able to kind of see the whole area because we've got the whole brewery fermentation room we got the whole packaging stuff downstairs and as far as our open to the public spaces, we've got our tap room here, and we also have a big uh, indoor-outdoor roof tap bar, so we'll see all of that. Yeah, so we haven't done our tour yet. We're going to be doing that after um, we record with him. He's gonna, he, um, he said the tour takes about an hour. Uh, for people that are visiting Green Bay, because we have a lot of people that come to Green Bay for Packers games and whatnot, um, when do you offer your tours, and how does that work? Do they have to so, sign up for So them? in the past, we have had every Saturday and Sunday we've had tours. Right now, we're still, with all the pandemic stuff, we're not fully open back up into doing the tours. We're kind of easing into it. So right now, what we're doing is essentially if groups want tours, they can Facebook message us, and we'll be able to set up a private tour for people. Sweet. And it's like a cool facility. I noticed you guys have a lot of different buildings, like almost like a town going on here. Yeah, yeah. So this is what, what we call the rail yard district. It's kind of a, a lot of it used to be old abandoned buildings. The Actually, the train depot that we started in was an old abandoned building for a while before we took it over and turned it into this beautiful restaurant brew pub. And there's been a lot of re revitalization in this part of Green Bay. And it's very cool to see. And it's very cool to see all these new buildings going up and apartments everywhere. And it's definitely a, a bustling, exciting part of town. So, definitely. How far are we from Lambeau? Uh, it's it's about a ten minute drive, so it's not that that bad. And one of the really cool things is that the city bus system will actually run to Lambeau for free on Packer game days. So people can and the bus stop is right outside of here, so people can actually shuttle from here down to Lambeau and back, and not have to pay parking to for I think it's twenty bucks to park in the Lambeau parking lot. So. 
That's pretty sweet. Probably yeah. significantly safer as well. Yep. This the, is Wisconsin. This, this, <laughs> the city sets it up real nice to be real easy to go to the games and whatnot and still be safe. Do you notice an uptick during football season? Absolutely. If we're especially uh, we this is our first factory season where we don't have the restaurant next door, so that's actually a separate company now. But we definitely will see a ton of people, both Packer fans from around the area or driving in or and visiting fans with a lot of visiting fans that want to come in and honestly a lot of times the visiting fans are a ton of fun to have because it's it seems like the the angry mean fans aren't the ones that travel so <laughs> and let's be honest lions fans always need a beer right always <laughs> my dad is a big lions fan so uh, i know that to be very true <laughs> in the household i grew up in so along with football season comes the fall. Are you guys coming up with any seasonal beers that are newer? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, this time of year is always the big one is always our Oktoberfest that comes out, our Bentuba Oktoberfest that actually uh, last year won the, at the U.S. Beer Tasting Championship, we won Best Oktoberfest in the Midwest. So that's kind of a fun thing that they do there. Is, wow. So that's, that's an right. exciting thing. Honestly, it's one of my favorite beers, but the Oktoberfest is obviously a big one this time of year. Um, we also coming up here in October, November, well, in later fall, we'll have our Dark Helmet Schwartz beer that has been a year on for us for a long time. But it's it's that one's a cool one because I don't know if you guys have had a Schwartz beer before, but it's a dark beer that has a lighter body to it. So there's a lot of people that say that they don't like dark beers and really it's that they don't like the big, thick, chewy beers where this this one, uh, sometimes it'll be called a Black Pilsner because it has it has a lot lighter body but still has those nice chocolate coffee notes so people that like chocolate and coffee but don't like dark beer a lot of time like the schwartz beer that honestly sounds so good i'm getting excited already it's a pretty fantastic (laughs) one so that's uh other ones we have coming out we actually have a a fall spice nitro beer that we're going to be we don't have a name for it yet but we've got that coming out so we're kind of pushing some of the nitro beers because that's a pretty popular thing right now and it's something i haven't seen anybody do as far as the kind of fall spice uh, amber lager so we'll see how that turns out and i'm going to become a regular customer when you don't find me just know <laughs> i'm probably driving two hours to come here <laughs> you guys obviously i've bought your beer down in milwaukee how far do you guys uh ship your beer out uh, right now we distribute throughout the whole state of wisconsin i think at some point we'll distribute outside of the state but obviously it's a lot easier sell title town in, in wisconsin than title town in say chicago but uh <laughs> that's uh, that's where we're at right now we're happy with just feeding wisconsinites and they can uh but yeah we have pretty much the whole state covered and some uh all of our red green honey and stuff like that will go throughout the state some of the seasonals usually do and then we've got kind of some keg only stuff that'll be mostly local but a lot of times if people are asking for it we'll be able to supply it so another fun one we have coming out this fall is actually a second in our four pack series we just started doing four packs of cans this year and it'll be a maple rye barley wine so I'm really excited for that one. Everything you describe, Kelsey's heart is racing. I feel. And, and, and the beer is going to be called Sappy Love Story. You know what it is? It sound, they sound like um, Bath and Body Works candles for the fall, but like in beer versions. And so it makes it sound so good. Yeah. I, I hope, hopefully they taste a little bit better. Hey, you know, I've I never wish, tried it. I wish more craft beer companies would do uh, four packs because I feel like I could drink a six-pack of light beer pretty easy, but if I just want to relax, like I don't need six. Well, I, I, honestly, it's less the less beers available. A lot of times if people are doing four-packs, that's actually a real blowing up popular part of the industry is doing four-packs, but it's 
basically doing four packs for the higher alcohol, bigger beers, mm-hmm. so that you're not buying a whole six pack of a 10% barley wine. You're just buying a four pack of it. Like the first one we did was for nine and a half percent Imperial IPA. It was uh, we did in four packs. So, do you bottle and can here too? Uh, we we actually don't bottle anymore. We bottled right off the bat when we started here for a number of different reasons, and now we've transitioned totally over to cans. There, the public is becoming more and more accepting of cans which is a good thing because the cans are better for the beer in every aspect and they're for the most part a little bit cheaper to do which is nice for us but for the most part we're doing it because it's better for the beer it doesn't let any air in it doesn't let any light in stuff like that so i know that there's kind of a public persona that bottles are better than cans for some reason i think that some bottling company started that way back in the day but (laughs) The if the cans are just a better way to go for the beer, and I think that that's kind of where the industry is slowly going, which is awesome. So good, I like that. I've always thought I've always liked to drink out of cans more than bottles. And in fact, I don't want to talk about other beers too much. When we're you can talk here. about other beers all, all you want. That, that's honestly one of my favorite things about this industry is just that it's a very collaborative industry for craft beer. Is that it's not things that i don't see in any other industry where we'll once a year we'll get together with all the green bay breweries and we'll collaborate on a beer and we'll brew it together and we'll all put it on tap or we'll just collaborate with one brewery or my favorite thing is like if i have a certain kind of hops that i'm out of i can call my neighbor and say hey do you have any kind of these and he'll lend them to me until my shipment comes in and i can pay him back or even lids or anything like that so like we've got still make on tap right now because we like to a lot of us local breweries like to put each other on tap because we like to support each other that way and as much as we can support each other on that side of things for sales or if whenever somebody needs something that's the first thing we'll do is call around town and see if somebody's got it so it's a really really cool industry that way and it really has a cool environment that makes me really like hanging around this industry keeps the area going too in general it Mm -hmm. kind of shows that that whole we're here for each other and that's one of the things that craft beer has kind of gone back to is that uh, originally it was way back way back in the day it was a when you go into a town there's the brewery in that town of whatever village in germany that you go to and you drink that brewery's beer because there wasn't refrigeration so you couldn't have one big brewery supplying the whole country and we're kind of going back to that a little bit where a lot of people will come into town and they're very kind of localized where people come into town and you want to drink beer from that town. And that's a really cool thing, especially people coming in for Packer games is that a lot of people will come and they don't want to drink beer from Michigan. They don't want to drink beer from California. They want to drink beer from Wisconsin when they come here. So it's a re- really cool direction that the industry is going. For sure. It just makes you sad when you then go home and you can't find it anymore. It's like your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the, uh, fall and winter seasonals coming yep. up. Um, how would you compare that to how you like making your spring and summer seasonals? Well, a, lo- a lot of times, like I, when I first started, I refused to acknowledge this because I was a dark per- dark beer person. I like drinking dark beer year round. It's like it's 95 degrees, give me a nice stout. <laughs> but that's not how the majority of people work. And honestly, you look at sales and it definitely agrees with that, that people in the middle of summer, they want something light. They want something crisp. They want something that they can drink six of out on a boat. They don't want a big 10% imperial stout so that they'll have that as kind of a warmer during the winter or a sharing beer during the winter kind of thing. So that's that's why our summer seasonal was a cranberry colch because it's something that's light, very light beer, very drinkable, very crisp. You could pour back a couple of them and still be in good shape. And then as it gets later in the year, you're doing more of the spiced, more of the darker, more of the mapley, more of the barrel aged, that kind of stuff. It's so crazy because I feel like you are... I'm very excited because of the way you described 
the fall beers, but I feel like I've always been more of a summer beer person and you've always been more of a fall or winter, just based on like taste preference. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of talking about that before, like you were saying that you like when people come in and they don't like every single beer because everybody likes a different thing. And basically, if they all like the same beers, it would almost be an insult. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's why we have a wide selection of beer on tap. That's why we have a bunch of taps. And that's the, the quote that I was saying earlier that I really like is the, if you like every beer I have on tap, then I don't have a wide enough selection of beer. So it's a, always trying to have new and interesting things. And if you don't like a beer, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That just means that I'm pushing, pushing outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And if we can kind of keep the comfort zone moving, then that's a good thing. And if you're terrible at reviewing beers, <laughs> probably terrible at promoting them like we are. <laughs> and that's kind of something that we, that kind of started this whole adventure to reach out to you is we review beers and seltzers as of recently on our podcast. And man, are we bad at describing them. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's the thing is you don't necessarily have to be able to describe them really well. It's to, for it to be helpful for somebody else, yeah, it's, ni it's nice if they know the kind of flavors to expect out of it. But there's also a lot of different ingredients in beer that'll taste different to different people. It's kind of weird like that. But, but yeah, that's when you, when you drink a beer and you, there's just not a whole lot of words to describe it. It tastes like beer. That's, I, I, hear that, I hear that from my wife a lot anytime I give her like any kind of light lager type thing. Is it, oh, it tastes, that one tastes like beer. Because that's where that's where a lot of people are at, and that was actually one of the things that I brought was uh, I'm a certified BJCP or Beer Judge Certification Course uh, judge. So then I printed off some score sheets from that because it has some of those good describing words. It has what, whether you're describing the malt character of the beer versus the hops or the mouthfeel or stuff like that, and that kind of can help you describe beers better so that it can be more helpful for other people. Where I, honestly, you guys are still just. Uh, when you're scoring that kind of thing, a lot of times you're scoring how cl close it fits to an established style. But you guys don't necessarily want to do that. You want to do which beer you like more. So mm -hmm. that, so that's really the styles can't tell you which beer you like more. You have to know. But if you know that you like the caramely ones more than the toffee ones, or you like something with a piney hop character versus a citrus hop character, that's just kind of a good way to give other people an idea of kind of what they're going to be drinking. So. Well, obviously, from a judge's standpoint, like you are, you can't bring your own personal bias into it because you're trying all sorts it's, of different kind of really beers. It's really hard because you really do have to try to judge without the bias. But if I if I have a really two-style good beer in a style that I don't really enjoy drinking versus something that is totally out of style but is absolutely delicious to me, you have to be able to kind of break it down that way. And that's where it can be difficult but can also be a lot of fun. I think that's definitely where the two of us struggle, and that's why we're not professionals. We're mm -hmm. just doing it for fun. But, like, if Brian were to try a cider, he would probably be totally thrown off his game because it's not his thing necessarily. Versus if I try a dark beer, you know, I might have my own opinion just because they're not my typical preference. The, the, the other way it gets interesting when you get into some of the specialty beers, because that's a lot of what people are, at, that's not what you guys have been scoring for years, but that's a lot of what people have been doing as far as seasonals and stuff like that. Uh, and that's all of your flavored stuff. That's your uh, mango IPA and that's your uh, pastry s'more sour and stuff like that, is that when you do that in competition, you're supposed to taste 
overwhelmingly the base style of beer and just kind of a very subtle tones of whatever kind of specialty ingredient. But that's not usually what people want. If people, if people want a fruit beer, they want to get punched in the face with fruit and then have it kind of taste like beer at the end, right? mm-hmm. as opposed to it in a competition, you'd typically want to be doing very, very good notes of kind of that base style with very subtle cranberry on the end kind of thing. So that's, that's where it's, the judging is very different from actually what people want to purchase. Yeah, that's very interesting. Where where do you judge then? Is it all Wisconsin? There's been a couple of them throughout throughout Wisconsin, and primarily I just do the uh, Title Town Open that they've been doing here in Green Bay for a, a while now. So that's I I don't do a ton of traveling for it. So what's the Title Town Open? Uh, it, it's just a I honestly don't even know if they're doing it this year. I don't think they did last year, but uh, it's just a homebrew competition. They they'll usually have I think 180 entries in it, so it's a fairly decent sized competition. But it's uh, th- th- there will be a lot of those throughout the year, and uh, I, honestly, if somebody is a home brewer that's interested in looking for more competitions, the BJCP is a great way to find that because they'll have every competition, and there's I get emails for them all the time for ones that I can't make it to that are all around the state, and pretty much just about every week throughout the year, there's one somewhere in the state of Wisconsin. How do you think that your home brew would have done in a competition like that? I'm, I'm assuming. Well, let me backtrack. Did you ever enter your homebrew into a competition like that? I, I did. So my, my dad and I entered a lot in the Calumet County Fair. That's just the, the county that I, I grew up in. We had a lot of fun going there and everything. And uh, and I entered a couple times in the Titletown Open. The best I ever did was second. So that was an exciting thing. Out of 180 beers, I took second. But I also ha- haven't brewed at home since my kid was born because that takes a lot of time away that normally would have been brewing. So that's oh, uh, it kind of takes that away. It also... When I'm brewing a lot here, it kind of takes away a little bit of the need to brew at home. But I, that's something I'll, I'll probably get back into at some point. That's so. awesome. Man. Hey, so you still second bre- out of 180 is fantastic. So you still brew at home sometimes for fun, uh, even though you're brewing here for work? I, I, I used to. Used to I, cause I, I've been here for a little over seven years now, and I, it was just about three and a half years ago that I kind of stopped brewing at home for the most part. So. It's, it's so funny when you describe it as 75% cleaning and 25% making beer. And any home brewer will agree with you on that. That, that was, and I, the funny thing is that a couple of years back for Father's Day, I got my dad all the setup to be able to keg his beer. because Not because it's that much easier to just throw it into a kegerator and drink it that way rather than the bottles, because a lot of times he'd end up filling bottles off the kegerator anyway to bring to people's houses and whatnot. It's just that the, the kegerator is so much less cleaning than oh. cleaning... 48 bottles for a batch of beer yeah because you're just filling the keg right and then you fill mm-hmm. off of the keg and, and okay. you've got to clean and sanitize them and everything because that's one of the things that's a huge problem with home brewing is that if you have any kind of little bit of cleaning chemical left or any kind of little contaminant in there you can have bottles just explode all over the place so that brings oh, up gosh. a question that i have this is this actually just happened to us last week um we had growlers from a couple months ago that we had filled and drank and um uh you cleaned it or Kelsey cleaned them out really well mm. but she ended up still having like mold growing it like what's the best way to clean a growler um well you can sanitize it as much as possible but the but in the end the growlers just aren't made to be long period like long-term storage for beer mm-hmm. they're they're meant to be something that you drink within a week kind of thing and part of it is the sanitation of it part of it's because you're going to lose carbonation over time you're going to have just a little bit of a chance for stuff to kind of move under the cap 
Uh, one thing that a lot more places have been doing is what's called crawlers. I don't know if you guys have seen crawlers places, but it's a 32-ounce can that they'll just fill off, sanitize, and fill oh. off the tap and everything. Oh, yeah. We and won't. that's a little bit more of a long-term storage thing. But it, in the end, the main production stuff is is made for long-term storage more than like a growler or something. So. Okay. Makes sense. I just need to finish my beers at the brewery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then just, just keep coming back. Yeah, you just got to drink them faster is all that I'm getting at there. <laughs> Too, too much nursing of the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you have a beer coming out that you haven't named yet. So that brings me to uh, another question. One, how, does, how do you come up with a new beer here from idea to tap? I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And there, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and sometimes there's a very kind of established order of the things of how you want to do it, and sometimes you just kind of deviate from that a little bit and it's not always the same so it's sometimes we'll say hey we we need this kind of beer or we need to fit this kind of category uh like for the like we my sales guy came to me and just said hey we need a nitro beer to have this time of year and i'm like oh let's think uh we, i can do this i can do this let's try something spice like that and then so that kind of, and then from there we decided what kind of base beer we wanted to do for it and just kind of develop like that and we know what we want to do and we can already go to distributors with that and say they can go to bars and say, hey, we got this nitro, nitro spiced amber lager coming from Titletown. And then I, I don't have any good names for it. So I lean on our marketing guy and he gets to kind of work on the names and gets to make up the sell sheets for it and everything. Where then sometimes we'll have other beers where we'll, this is a really awesome name. Let's do that. Uh, what kind of beer could we do that, and call it that? <laughs> that, that, that? So sometimes you can kind of work backwards and sometimes you, and then sometimes you'll have seasonal beers that you brew the same beer every year and you don't have to worry about it and it's a lot easier. And so, like I said, so, sometimes it's a cool kind of beer that you want to make and you got to worry about it. So sometimes it's a really cool label design that you thought of and then you, and then it, you have to sit down with a couple people and say, all right, what kind of beer could we do that could work with that label and what kind of name would we want for it? And that, so you can kind of start it any of the corners and kind of work in from there and there's not really a right way to do it but there's it's it's a process and it's a, definitely a lot more on the creative side of things than just making the recipe but would you say it's more fun or more stressful to come up with the new beer uh for me the coming up with the beer that i want to make is fun and making it is fun coming up with a name and label design and stuff like that is usually stressful ones like the sappy love story is just fun because that was something where we started off with a couple different ideas for it and just kind of we were had a couple different routes and then one guy peeps in with hey what if we tried something like this and then my wife was actually the one that came up with sappy love story for the name and what, oh, we, really? had, what we actually went, went with for it was that the label on it is meant to kind of look like a cheesy romance novel except they except kind of a maple syrup version of a cheesy romance novel so that, that should be a lot of fun and that was one of those where I spent way too long working on the description of this beer, but it was a, it was a lot of fun to do. So, do you come, so do you come up with the descriptions on the can? A lot of times it's kind of a mix between me and our marketing guy and our sales guy and stuff like that because I, I know how to describe beer, but they know how to make it sound like you want to drink it. So there's and those aren't always the same thing. I was say I could <laughs> see how the naming or the design part could be really stressful because when you're staring at a wall of beer you have to want to be able to grab that it's, one and be exactly interested in that the, one so the description and the label and the name and stuff are going to encourage that first buy and that's that's the harder part where making good beer that makes people want to buy it again is to me is kind of the easy part so so we were talking about the johnny blood earlier yep um there's a cool story behind that right 
He's, there, there, there's a, I don't know how much of it is true and how much of it is legend about uh, Johnny Blood McNally, but we know that he was a Packer player back in the day and that he's, uh, he's in the Packer Hall of Fame and everything like that. I think he's in the NFL Hall of Fame too, but he was just a great running back back in the day, but he also took in a lot of alcohol in his time and there's a lot of different stories about him missing the train to games and stuff like that which back back in the day it was a lot different situation than it is now and obviously the nfl wasn't quite the huge industry that it is now but that's yeah you hear a lot of different uh just stories and again you don't know what's true and what's legend but it's still kind of fun to talk about the guy anyway so i'm assuming that beer's been around for a while right yeah yeah we've been making that one for a long time now so and then the Green 19, um, also, that's that's part of Aaron Rodgers' cadence or something? Or I'm not going to confirm or deny that it has anything to do with Aaron Rodgers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but Conspiracy the, the, theories. The Irish Red, one of the cool things is a couple years ago, we actually won, took second in its category at the Great American Beer Festival, which is the largest beer competition in the world. So that, that was a very cool accomplishment that that, that, that one got. And then uh, of our... Ones that we packaged, the Boathouse Pilsner also, that got gold medal at it a while ago. So just being able to kind of have some of our beers that not only do we like them and do people like them, but they actually are really too style and can really do well in competitions and huge competitions on top of that. You've uh, used that phrase twice now, too style. What do you mean? What's too style? Well, when I say too style, that means that there there's established flavors and aromas and mouthfeel and everything for what an Irish red, Irish style red is supposed to be. Okay. Or to what a Bohemian-style Pilsner is supposed to be, and that when it, when I say two style, that means that it actually follows those guidelines. It tastes like they like this whatever governing body says that an Irish red should taste like, as opposed to like Green Nineteen hasn't won a whole lot of competitions and everything because we like it better the way it is than to the the kind of established IPA style. It's a little bit more malt heavy. It's a little bit less bitter than a lot of different stuff out there, which we really like and a lot of people really like. It's one of our top-selling beers, so people still like to drink it. It just isn't technically to the IPA style as, as much as a lot of other ones out there. And it sounds like, I mean, you've got a very narrow blueprint almost is what it kind of sounds like to me of what the beer should be. And then you have to go outside the box to differentiate it from the others, but not too far outside exactly. the box. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's where it's, okay. it's kind of a battle, especially when it comes into trying to win some of the competition stuff like that. Because, yeah, you want it to like you still want it to be recognizable as that style. You still want that style to be a good example of what people are going to get if they buy the beer but you also don't want to be the same as everybody else because that would be really boring exactly reminds me of cooking shows <laughs> they're like make a burger but don't go too crazy because then it won't look like a burger anymore uh, but i still want it to be a burger and i still want it to be exactly different the same kind of thing <laughs> yeah you want you want it to be different from everybody else but still recognizable as that so johnny blood red and green 19 are year-round beers how many year-round beers do you have? So right now, year-round, we'll do the, the Johnny Blood, the Green 19, the Boathouse is a, a Czech-style or Bohemian-style Pilsner, and then we have our 400 Honey. So that's an American blonde that we actually dose real Wisconsin, local Wisconsin honey into. So the, the cool thing about that is that rather than putting it in earlier where it's going to get fermented out or something, we're dosing it in right at the filter. So you actually have X amount of honey right in your bottle that you're drinking. So it's got the sweetness. It's got a lot more of the honey character. One other kind of fun hurdle that that caused, though, is that when we filter our beers, we're not filtering. We're just filtering out enough to be clear. We're not filtering out every last yeast cell. 
So the problem that that causes is that if we have a can that has some yeast and some honey in it, and somebody puts it up on a warm store shelf, the yeast is going to eat the honey up and the cans are going to explode. So we had to come up with a, or a way to use a new piece of equipment to make sure that we have all the yeast out of just that beer so that we don't have cans exploding on shelves. <laughs> has, that, has that happened to you before? We, not to us, but we know plenty of other people that it's happened to, and especially with the kind of new craze of seeing how much fruit can I get into this beer. There's a lot of people that don't think about that, that then there's, you're adding sugar in. That if you don't really sterile filter your beer, it's going to eat that fruit, and the can't, you're going to have stuff exploding everywhere. But that's going to going to smell, smell delicious when it explodes. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you want it to. I don't know if it'll still uh, sell it the way that they hope. Oh, that smells so good when it exploded all over the shelf. Let me go buy that. <laughs> I imagine it's not just one can exploding. No, I imagine so. I think it's interesting, too. I mean, you already mentioned this, but all the science that goes into beer is just mm. crazy. Like I said, it's a, it's a crazy blend of marketing and science and cooking and art and everything kind of mixed together and you really have to be good at some level at all of them because you can try to cook it as well as you can but if you don't follow the exact science for it you're probably going to end up with something weird i tell people this all the time on the tours that we have the first step of the brewing process for us is the mash mixer where we're actually mixing the crushed up grain with our brewing salts and with water which sounds really simple but if you don't get just the right temperature and pH on it, then you don't get the right enzymatic activity. You don't get the sugars broken down into the right chemicals or broken down into the right molecules. And suddenly you have something that the yeast can't ferment and you just end up with this sticky, sugary, gross, non-alcoholic mess at the end. So that's, it's, it's like I said, it's parts of a lot of different things, but you've got to kind of be good at all of them. I mean, one misstep and you have exploding cans or mm -hmm. weird tasting, sappy, unalcoholic mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. And one of the things that comes way, way more in, into it on the, as far as the homebrew judging type thing than what you guys are doing where you're taking commercial beers like that, but on, on the score sheets here, I don't know if you guys want to look at them now yeah. or not. Oh, for sure. They, they actually have off flavors on there. So if you look at kind of the list on the side there, there's all different off flavors and it'll talk about what it tastes like and then it also sometimes talks about what you do wrong that makes it taste like that, which isn't as big of a deal for commercial beers because commercial beers t usually know what they're doing well enough to not have those flavors going on. But it's still interesting to kind of be able to see what, what you could do wrong and how you could do everything right except this one step and all of a sudden your beer tastes like green apple and, uh, and rotten green beans. Or light struck, similar to the aroma of a skunk. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a fun one that I've done. I've, we've done some uh, quality tasting like panels where we actually bring in a bunch of people and do tastings. And one of the fun ones that I always did is uh, if you think about all the different bottles and growlers and stuff out there that are green or clear, is the reason part of why you want the darker bottles is so you don't get light in there. And what I did is I took our Boathouse Pilsner and I took a amber growler and a clear growler and put them out in the sun for 15 minutes and then poured uh, people samples of each and people didn't even want to smell the one that was out in the sun for 15 minutes in a clear growler because it just it smelled like a skunk was spraying you in the face because oh, you actually have compounds in the hops that when they get hit by light turn into the same chemical that a, that a skunk produces and that's why sometimes like your Heinekens and your Becks and stuff like that that are in those lighter bottles will have some of that character from having that clear bottle. It's so, so crazy. So again, on the science side of things. So. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy reading some of these that you were talking about, like vegetal 
cooked, canned, or rotten vegetable aroma and flavor. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> There's a new one for our podcast. <laughs> Am I saying that even right? Vegetal. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's right. And that's, uh, that's, uh, DMS is the one that, that can kind of do that. And that's an interesting one because uh, if you ever try Rolling Rock, they're one that I will actually purposely keep the DMS in their beer because that's kind of their house flavor. And it, it tastes like cream corn. And there, so if you ever try Rolling Rock, it tastes like cream corn. And there's actually a compound that's produced in the brewing process that most people try to get out, and they purposely will seal it in because that's kind of their house flavor. There's other other places that'll have uh, diacetyl as one on there that I find absolutely disgusting when I drink it, but it, it tastes like butter. It's actually produced and used as a fake butter flavoring on a lot of stuff, but it's produced naturally during the fermentation process and then used up naturally. But if you do something wrong and it doesn't get used up in time, then you've got a beer that tastes like butter. And some, t- some people that sounds exciting for, and some people it sounds real gross. But th- there's some places that'll have that in a lot of their beers, and then that's kind of their house flavor, and people expect that from them. And if it's not there, people are like, whoa, where'd this go, even though it's technically an off flavor. You just pretend like it was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted the beer to taste like buttered popcorn. <laughs> that's so interesting. So... It's an off, it's an off flavor, but it's it's their brand, so they just stick with it. Exactly, and 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 in the end, if it if it sells the beer and people enjoy it, uh, who who's to say it's an off flavor? It's uh, I've equated that to like uh, what people refer to weeds. If it, if something's meant to be there, it's a it's not a weed, even if it's a dandelion. And if it's not supposed to be there, then yeah, then most people call it a weed. And that's, I'm assuming that's kind of where you can get yourself into trouble with judging is if you are leaning on one of those off flavors, is that what you were saying? Um, to pull your beer forward, it can actually hurt you in the end. Yeah, like, and, or like one of the other the examples that I've seen before is when you get into like the sour acidic type of stuff, there's obviously beers that are meant to be sour and meant to have kind of a weird funky there there's beers that are supposed to have a flavor that's referred to as horse blanket because that that's what you get from some of these spontaneously fermented really cool wild sour beers but if you taste that in an irish red it's not it's not supposed to be there and most people won't like it so a lot of it depends on the style of beer too oh that sounds like a terrible combination what's that johnny red but sour edition (laughs) (laughs) We actually tried to make some at one point. And oh, really? So whatever kind of microbe we were using to ferment kind of over-fermented it, and it just had no body left to it at all. It was just all sour. And we actually ended up in our restaurant and uh, next door in a different company. We're using it as a like a malt vinegar type type thing. So essentially we had a barrel of Johnny Blood that just got, ended up getting used for cooking. So it, it tasted really good when you use it for pickling onions and whatnot. It just didn't taste very good when you drank it as a beer. Now let's say in a in the multiverse, we've, this beer was a success. Would you have completely rebranded it as something a completely new beer, or would it have been like a Johnny Blood Red Citrus stuff? It, it probably would have just been. A, honestly, we, at that point, it's a different enough beer that we probably wouldn't have even called it Johnny Blood. We would have come up with a different name and stuff for it. But a lot of times, we'll do uh, breweries will do one-off stuff like that. That's just kind of fun little projects where they'll take an existing beer partially because it's easily accessible and partially because it's something that you know that you do well. So if you can do something well and do one other little addition to it, one kind of, one cool thing we have coming up that is actually out in distribution already is we have our Johnny Blood Red on Nitro. So that, that, that's a cool thing where it's a, 
it's a close enough beer to still call it the same thing, but it's it actually has a very different flavor. It has uh, our regular Johnny Blood. It has is real heavy on the caramel and toffee notes, and in the background there's a little bit of roasty, a little bit of nutty. Where the nitro, for some one reason or another, the nitrogen really brings out the nuttiness. So it almost tastes like it's got uh, very heavy on the peanut character with a little bit of chocolate, and then the caramel and toffee are real far behind. So it's it's interesting how. You could take one beer and just make one small one small change to it, and it tastes completely different. That sounds amazing. Like every time he describes something, I'm just like, "Where is it?" <laughs> I know. And, and in no time, you guys will be able to describe beer that'll make anybody want to drink it. So, yeah, that's the that's the end game with this. So, how I even uh, linked up with Jed was I uh, posted in a group. It's called Wisconsin Craft Beer Drinkers, I believe. And I was just looking for advice. I said, I have a podcast, and we taste some beers, and my friends make fun of me because I can't describe them at all. Um, and, yeah, someone linked me up with Jed, and Jed said, hey, you know, I have some resources that can help you. Um, I like the quote that you said when you reached out to me. You said that drinking beer is the easy part. Describing it can be hard for anybody. Mm, yeah, it, exactly. And there's there's a lot of times where I'll drink a beer that I have no idea how to describe it. It'll be some crazy flavor that I just can't really put my – and then what's even funnier is when you can't think of what it is and then somebody else drink and say, oh, it tastes like bubblegum. Like, oh, my God, that's what I was tasting. And it, it's, it's funny when there's stuff like that that you just it's right on the tip of your tongue and you can't think of what it is. And the funny thing there is it was actually my wife that saw your post on there. It's like, you should respond to this guy. So I, I got to give her credit for that, too. So Your wife sounds fantastic. She is. <laughs> Are we going to be able to try the beer that she named? Uh, it, not here today. It's not, it's not out yet. But when it does come out, it is getting distributed in Milwaukee. So I'll be able to let you guys know when it's coming out in that area and we can, we can definitely do something there and I'll, I'll look forward to seeing how you can describe it on the podcast. So yeah, we should be better at it. We'll use our tip sheet <laughs> to properly analyze that beer. <laughs> what steps did you go through to become a judge? <laughs> it's, it sounds ridiculous to some people when I talk about it because basically what it is is you honestly have to do a standardized test online that I studied for weeks for. And then you have to get a certain score in the standardized test online. And you, and then once you do that, then you can schedule your tasting exam, which, again, sounds ridiculous. But like the tasting exam, they, it'll be six beers that they give you, and essentially they present it to you as you're in a homebrew competition, judge this beer. And then you have... Uh, 15 minutes, I think it's 15 minutes for that beer, and you're doing six beers, so it's an hour and a half of just tasting and writing. And your wrist, just like any exam, your arm hurts by the end because you're writing all these descriptions of the beers, and you're trying to write it like you're writing feedback to a home brewer. So you're telling them what you taste, and you're telling them what they did right and what they did wrong, and you're, you're literally filling out this sheet that I gave you for it. You've spent 90 minutes describing six beers? Mm-hmm. Wow. And then at the same time, they'll actually be giving the same beers to two people that are already judges and already have done a ton of competitions that already really know what they're doing. And then that way they can kind of compare your comments and your scores to what they did to know if you're actually good at what you're doing or not, or if you're just kind of making stuff up as you go along. So that's a, that's the kind of interesting way to do that. And then you have to wait like six weeks to hear back about it. And it's it's just, like I said, it sounds ridiculous to a lot of people that you would do that much just to be able to kind of judge beers that it's just a series of exams and then basically as you want to do go higher up and be a higher and higher ranked judge you've got to do better and better on the tasting exam so you've got to keep taking it over and over and try to get better and better at what you do and study for it every time and it's 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 not easy but it's it's a lot of fun so i think it's worth it though to keep the um 
credibility high because mm-hmm. that way you know that it's not just some guy who enjoys drinking beer in his basement that's just coming up to show mm-hmm. to and judge you know your there's beers. a very decent chance that the homebrewer is going to get the sheet back and say that judge is full of crap he doesn't know what he's talking and then they'll see three other judges that they said the same thing and they'll say those uh, or they'll accept that hey maybe this is something i should change but one of the other great quotes that i've heard from the first person i ever saw judge a beer is if you like it don't change it is yeah. that I, I don't care if we tore your beer apart on the sheet. If you like it or your friends like it or your, anybody you're giving to like it, don't change anything about it. You, you, you should brew what you want to drink, not brew what a judge wants to drink or even what a judge wants to score because it might, it might even be something where the judge didn't like the beer but scored it really well because it was really too style or really, really liked the beer but scored it really bad because it wasn't very to style. But you just you got to brew what you like, so... Or like in, in the commercial case, I got to brew what people like. Yeah. Well, it's like an IMDb score. doesn't mean much if you like the movie. Exactly. It... Had time in movies there. <laughs> if it, I feel like with movies, a lot of time it works out where if it's, got a, if it's got a really great, like the critics say it's a really great movie, I usually won't enjoy it. But there's a lot of them that have really bad scores from critics, but really good scores from the general public because that's the kind of movies that the general public likes. Or like uh, Kelsey is a huge fan of horror, and horror just doesn't do well with critics. It just doesn't do it. it. Um, So even the most iconic horror movies of all time are going to have lower ratings than you'd expect, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean they're bad movies, or especially for a horror fan. If a horror fan likes the movie, like it's a good movie then. Yeah, or, or like I, I'm usually a big fan of a lot of the different just popular sci-fi, fantasy, superhero stuff like that. And it's the same kind of thing where a lot of time crit- critics typically aren't going to care a whole lot about a Star Wars movie or a Star Trek movie or Lord of the Rings or Avengers or anything like that. But the general public really likes it. So, mm-hmm. so if you like what you're doing, it doesn't matter if the judges don't. Exactly. Do you, are we able to do tastings now? Absolutely. But I guess we could go off of kind of whatever you guys are interested in. Otherwise, I could throw some beers at you and just say this is something cool about this one. This is something cool about this one. It's up to you guys. I'd say surprise us. We'll do a little surprise sampling of some beers. Let me go get some beers then. All right, so now we are moving on to the tasting part of this, and we have four beers lined up here that we are um, we're going to try, and Kelsey and I might try to describe it the way we usually would, and we're going to get some better tips on how how a beer judge would describe it. And let me tell you guys, off of looks alone, these beers look fantastic. I cannot wait. And I have to let you guys know... Even though Brian is not a fan of my ASMR can opening, (laughs) some people are. So I will be doing that today. Thank you so much. Even though we are drinking out of eight-ounce flight glasses, uh, Jed was kind enough to supply Kelsey with a can that she could open into the mic. All righty. So where do we want to start? All righty. So the first one we're going to drink here, we're going to go left to right here. So a lot of times when you do competitions and stuff, you're going to go from the lightest flavors to the boldest flavors i kind of just wanted to highlight certain things here so we'll just go left to right and give her a best so the first one here is our peachful bliss uh, oh your board flipped around you, you, you know your directions <laughs> so it's just flipped around 
Don't lie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I almost said other left, and then I'm like, wait a sec. <laughs> All right. All right. So the, the real light one here is what we're going to be drinking first. That's our Peaceful Bliss. So what that is, is, is it's a traditional Berliner Weiss, which is a German style, very old German style. It's a wheat beer that's only about 3% alcohol and is very sour. So the crazy thing that a lot of people don't know is that sours, you brew the exact same way as a regular beer. You just ferment them a little bit differently. So rather than throwing just yeast into it, you'll throw either a bacteria or some kind of wild yeast or some kind of combination of the, of the two. So here we'll actually do a kettle sour on it so it'll get a bacteria fermenting it warm for like three days. And then we'll boil off, kill the bacteria, and then let the yeast kind of do its work. So it's a very light, very crisp, very drinkable beer, but there's not... There's, the fruit isn't what's contributing to that sour character. It's actually from bacteria fermenting a little bit differently than what yeast does. So, Which might sound gross, but man, is it delicious. It sounds fantastic, And then honestly. this one got peach and apricot added to it later. So the peach and apricot are very subtle, but you get a lot of the really light, really drinkable notes to it. So do you usually smell it first? Mm-hmm. So if you look on the sheet there, it actually has the main things when you're scoring a beer is going to be aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and just kind of the overall so for usually if I'm judging, I'm going to be smelling it first. See, I have no so idea how to describe that smell. Did you smell it? Like almost a vinegar smell? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Unless you, it, I'm crazy. It's like a sour or a tart kind of character you get yeah. from it. Or almost, almost lemonade is what I would get from this one. So yeah, when you drink it, it's not everybody likes sours, or the way my dad will put it is people don't like sours yet, because if, if you drink the right ones, you drink enough, eventually you might like them, but it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's a, to me it's just very refreshing, it's a very refreshing beer, and it's a very low alcohol beer, this is if you want to sober up from some of the bigger ones, you could drink this beer to kind of sober up a little bit. I was so. going to say, crisp, refreshing, like a little bit of like that back kick of sour, but not too crazy. So like, so? so like a lot of the people that don't usually like beer or let them drink seltzers and ciders and stuff like that, a lot of times they like sour beers. My, my wife doesn't really like beer a whole lot, but she likes to drink a lot of the sour beers. See, the sour like really kicks me. You said you don't really know. It's like a... I think I may be more used to sours maybe just because I do frequent them. So maybe that's part of it, but... I really wish that people could see the look on your face while you're drinking <laughs> this beer. And I don't mean to be insulting. Like... No, that's... I. I I told you, if, if you like all the beers, then I'm not trying hard enough. So yeah, you don't have to like the beer. It's just, it's something that's out there. It's something that a lot of people like. And it's something that I would encourage people that don't usually like beer, but do like ciders and stuff like that, to try some sours, try some Berliner Weisses, try some stuff like that, that they, that they might like. I do like that you're able to see his face because I had him try matcha tea on the podcast once. And nobody could see his face, but it was probably one of the most disgusting things he so that's ever one of those consumed. Where being the Instagram person, you might have to just be ready with the camera when you try something <laughs> and you think he's going to make a weird face. And suddenly your Instagram is just him like making all sorts of weird faces, drinking weird things. So That's the whole Instagram, nothing yeah, else? Not, not, nothing else, <laughs> just his faces. That's very good. I could easily finish a couple of those. You also don't have to finish it if you don't want to. All right. I will finish it for you if you like. <laughs> Deal. I will let you finish this because I feel like you're not going to want to finish the next one. All right. So, so the next one is going to be a, a total 180 from the first beer. The next one is called Cool Beans. So the next one is a uh, it's a milk stout or a sweet stout. And what that is is basically you'll brew a stout and then you'll add in lactose, just straight up lactose sugar into it. So that's why I asked if you guys could drink milk 
because if it has about the same amount of lactose in it as milk. And the reason for adding that in is because the sugar that'll help make add more body and add more sweetness to the beer, but it's something that yeast can't ferment. So they're not going to ferment it out, so it's going to stay in there. So you're still going to have that sweetness. You're still going to have that creaminess to it with, after the yeast ferments it. And then we also actually did uh, cold brew coffee in it from a local coffee shop. So that was, that was kind of a fun thing that we did with, the, with that. So That sounds say, fantastic. This, I was going to say, this really smells like coffee. I feel like this is going to nail everything I want in mouthfeel, aroma, flavor. Yeah, so this, this is a good one to talk about mouthfeel versus the other one. The other one had a very light, crisp mouthfeel. There wasn't a whole lot there where this one's going to be a lot creamier, a lot more full, a little bit lighter on the carbonation, but a lot more just full-bodied. So the, the, there's some words that you can really use to sound like you know what you're talking about is full-bodied and light-bodied when you're talking about the beer. So Definitely full-bodied. No, this isn't a nitro, is it? Nope, that's not a nitro. So that all that creaminess is coming from that lactose. That's awesome. It's very good. It leaves a little bit of that after taste of like a little bit of bitterness, but not too mm -hmm. bitter. Kind of like, I mean, like you said, like a cold brew coffee would. What's the name of this beer? That's Cool Beans. Cool Beans. This is delicious. Yeah, that one we don't actually have a whole lot left of, but I'm, I'm glad I had it just because it's a cool example of kind of some of the different mouthfeels and different fun ingredients you can do in uh, Kavarna is actually the name of the coffee shop that we worked with on that that's just down the street from us that we used actually the same coffee and everything that they use for their cold brew so and I really like seeing the beer like lace my glass like that is that part of the appearance that's definitely part, part of the appearance is uh, another part of the appearance is head retention because the head should stay on the beer for a while mm -hmm. and you can see that some of them are worse than others so like the the Sour, you kind of see the head go away real quick. That's a tradition. That's a normal thing to see with sours because of the acidity. A lot of times they don't keep the head retention for as long. But that's that's actually something that you're going to look at for the for the appearance of the beer. Another thing is that if it's entered as a stout and it looks like this, or it looks like a lighter one, then you know that it that's also going to get knocked off on the appearance. Or if you have a Berliner Weiss that's an amber color, that's going to get knocked off on the appearance because that's not what it's supposed to look like. So that's that's kind of where the appearance can come into play. There, it can also be if you see if it looks real chunky in a style that should be crystal clear, that that's not how it's supposed to be. Or if if you have something where the color of the head is the wrong color, that's something that you could knock points off of if you're scoring it. So, Do you know what the alcohol content is in these? Yeah, the Berliner is about 3%. The Cool Beans is about 6 So n none, of, none of these are going to be real huge beers except for the, the last one that we're cracking the can open for. So Yeah, I was just going to say, like, if I were to tell you to make me my perfect beer, it would be dark, creamy, but not heavy on alcohol, and with some, like, I don't know, something I can drink in 50-degree weather outside on my porch or something, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, this one fits well for that, and I, I ended up not grabbing a sample of the Dark Helmet. We can try that one later if you want, but that, that would also fit real well into there, because it's some, something that it's not going to, it doesn't have this big full body like this one does, but it's got that lower alcohol, so you can kind of keep drinking it, and that's kind of a misconception that people have is there's a lot of people out there that see dark and just assume it's got a high high amount of alcohol because some of the big imperial stouts are just a popular thing is that people think that the darker it is the more alcohol it is but there's, there's a lot of like dry stouts out there that are three percent alcohol so they're very they're darker beers that are very light there's some very light beers that are really high alcohol so there's the color has nothing to do with the amount of alcohol in it so i'm telling you i I can still feel the creaminess in my mouth, and I haven't taken a drink in 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. 
Now that one's yeah, good. Yeah, there's definitely cool stuff you can do like that. So the next one is I, I told the guys on the canning line for this one that if I had to pick one alcoholic beverage, and that's the only alcoholic beverage I could drink for the rest of my life, it would be this beer. This is our Bent 2 of Oktoberfest. So the, the, I, I don't say that because it's my favorite beer. I say that because it's so versatile. It's something that it's uh, the Oktoberfest style is good out on a boat in the middle of the summer. It's good dur- during the fall when kind of things are starting to cool down. It's good sitting around a uh, fire during the winter. It's, it's very versatile. But I'm also just a, I'm a lot more of a fan of malt in beer than, than hops. I know there's a lot of people that are crazy about hops. I still enjoy hops a lot, but I, I'm a real sucker for a good malt profile. And to me, that's, this is one of those where you can, don't have any weird body play, playing into it. You don't have any weird off flavors. You don't have any special ingredients. Uh, a lot of times the way that you're going to describe an Oktoberfest is going to be bready. So you're going to taste a lot of bread or a lot of toast kind of stuff. You might get a little bit of like a nutty you might get a little bit of like a, almost like a spicy, and that's actually the German hops. Anytime that you have like a German style, it's gonna have a little bit of that spicy character to it, and that's from the hops. This is very, I'm not much of like an Oktoberfest style person. I really like this. I like, you know what? It almost smelled like apple juice to me. Yeah. I know that uh, sounds weird, but. That's definitely something that you can get from that, and that's kind of some of that hop character mixing with some of the, just natural acidity of the beer but i can definitely get i think you were saying like a nutty flavor mm-hmm. oh for sure yeah the, the primary flavor you're going to get is basically like bread or toast okay. but there's a lot of different things that you can taste in it and to me it's a very drinkable very easy drinking beer but also a very complex beer there's a lot of cool stuff happening with it too and that's one of the nice things about it because I, I know i have two uncles that that's all they drink is exclusively Michelob ultra and this time of year, they will put down the Michelob Ultra and pick up the Bent Tuba because they... <laughs> oh, wow, really? It's a, it's a good beer for people that are only usually drink domestics because it's very drinkable. And it's very easy It's very easy to put a couple of them back if you really want to. But it's still there's still a lot to appreciate if you really are looking for complexities in the beer. I just laughed into my beer on that Michelob Ultra <laughs> comment. <laughs> it's funny because so we do Facebook Lives every once in a while. Yep. And we did a blind... Uh, light beer taste contest oh, just yeah. the two of us and we uh what do we have six light beers i think and Michelob Ultra took last place so. oh yeah that's not surprising <laughs> that's uh that's uh, to me the blind tastings are always fun like that just because that you, you can say that you like this beer over this one till you till you're blue in the face but if somebody actually gives you two glasses and you and you like have to pick which one you like more then that's that's you really put on the spot. You really have to say it. You'd know if you really like it more, or if you just like don't like the concept of that beer. We actually did that with because um, we both really like Diet Coke, so we did that with Diet Colas, with Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, Pepsi Zero, Coke Zero. Um, and we were insulting Diet Right. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever had it, and we were like dragging it beforehand and end up winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the best, and stuff works out like that. The other. Fun thing that you guys could do at some point if you really want that we've done in our quality control panels is what's called triangular testing. So at that point, what we'll do is we'll put three glasses in front of somebody, and two of them are exactly the same thing, and one of them is something just slightly different. Oh, I and like it that, already. And that way you try to see if you can pick out the odd one out. And I'll tell you what, you really get in your head when you're trying to, like, you'll, you'll, all of a sudden you'll think they're all the same thing, or you'll think they're all three different things. <laughs> or you could really mess with somebody and make them all the same thing, or all three different things. <laughs> But uh, like we would have a lot of, because let's say we're going to make a small ingredient change. If we make that small ingredient change and do a triangular test in front of 10 people and everybody can taste the odd one out, 
that means it's a substantial change. It's something that we really need to look into. Or if we think that there's an off flavor in a beer and we do that and we have 10 people try it and only two people can pick the right one out, that says that it's not an off, an off flavor that's really affecting a lot of people. It's not something that a lot of people really notice. But like I was talking about the kind of skunky Pilsner before, that's what I did for it is I just did a triangular test. Guess what? Every single person could tell the difference between the one that was in the amber growler and the one that was in the clear growler. So that's uh, that's kind of a cool thing that you can do that way, and that's a good way to kind of also hone in your skills and see what you're actually tasting. And if you can actually pick out odd things in a beer is when you've got three of them in front of you and you have to try to pick out which one's different. When you're doing this, what are you serving them in? Are you serving them in glasses like this? I'll usually do, it, do glasses like that, or I'll try to do them in like an opaque glass so that they can't use the color or the haziness or whatever. But if you're doing some, a lot of times if you're doing that, they're going to be the same color anyway, so it's not a big deal. But yeah, we'll just do sample glass like this. And honestly, usually I'll serve them on trays like this and just have one, two, three, four, and you or one, two, three, and you try to tell me which number you think is different. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, there's it's there's a lot more science to it than a lot of people realize. So the 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 last one here is our Cranadale Gold. So that's the one I was kind of telling you guys about that you sounded very excited about that this is. So this is a German-style Kolsch that we've been brewing for a long time. And a, a Kolsch is a cool style because it kind of has a different yeast profile. It's kind of a mix. Bet- it's a German style, but it's kind of a mix between am- or between an ale and a lager. So it's got kind of qualities of both. But this is the one where we just decided instead of Cranadale Gold, we were going to make Cranadale Gold and throw in a bunch of cranberries. So I'm so excited, but I'm mostly excited to see Brian's reaction. It has a distinct smell to it, but I, again, do not know what that smell is. That is so good. Oh, you see, that doesn't hit me like the sour did. Yeah, so this one this one isn't a sour style. The other one was a sour style of fruit in it. This one is not a sour style. It's a very, it's kind of going to be like a mix between like a light American lager and a good amber kind of, or a, a American blonde kind of thing. But so it's going to have kind of qualities of both, but overall it's going to be a really light, drinkable, uh, kind of fluffy beer, but not sour at all. Where the all the sour that this gets is from the cranberry, so it's not an intense sour. It's okay, I was going to say I do just a taste little bit sour. of puckering from the from the cranberries. So I got it. That's very good, very refreshing. Like you've said, I think that's the perfect word for it. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what we're going for for a summer beer like that. It's just something that's going to be refreshing. It looks way heavier or thicker than it than it actually is. And the funny thing with that is I was talking about the, the sterile filtering earlier with the honey. This one, the way that we did the fruit is that we actually did sterile filter it. And then we put cranberry juice right into it. So all of that haziness is actually from the cranberry juice. And a lot of it's actually pulp from the cranberry juice. It's crazy you know that too, because I was literally going to say the same thing. Like, it looks like a different beer than how it tastes. Yes. I kind of feel the same about the Oktoberfest-style beer. Like, it looks like it's going to be more, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it looks more like an amber. It looks like you're going to taste it, and exactly. you're going to overwhelmingly taste caramel, and or it's going to be more bitter. That's one of the things that I think really push a lot of people off of amber style beers is the American amber style because the American amber style is a lot more bitter mm-hmm. and it's a lot more hops than people really realize. And I think that that's people overall are finding out that they don't like their beer super overwhelmingly bitter. They want to taste other stuff and have bitter just kind of there as a helper as opposed to 
back 10 years ago when people thought the more bitter the beer was, the cooler it was. And you aren't cool unless you drink a super bitter beer. And <laughs> I'm glad that we've kind of gotten away from that. Uh, but I'm glad that you do that here because, like, I've seen um, craft breweries where they really push the IPA and hops. Like, um, you have a – I'm not just saying this because we're here with them. But you, your selection is way more diverse, I feel. Yeah, and well, we work really hard. Like I told you before, we work really hard at having a diverse selection. It's, I like it if there's a beer that you don't like because that means that I have a nice diverse selection. If you lo- like everything, maybe I need to try a little bit harder and do something a little bit weirder. So if we had, well, we don't want to get too weird. I know there's a lot of very weird <laughs> beers out there these days. But I was if, actually... If we can, if we can keep, it, keep it to something that people want to drink but still not be normal or not be like everybody else, that's always something we want to shoot for, so... As a judge, because I was going to ask this earlier, what is the weirdest flavor combo you've ever seen with a beer? Or what's one that sticks out in your mind, I guess I should say? I, I know there's two of them that stick out in my mind. and Neither one of them I would call as weird or a flavor combo per se. But one of them we actually, while we were judging it, referred to as the kitchen sink. Because somebody made an imperial stout that I think it was a bourbon honey maple uh graham cracker marshmallow stout or so, something like that which <laughs> is where the industry is moving these days is how many cool how many things can you cram into one beer but they did a really good job with it you could like need none of them really overlapped you could really taste all of them separately and they went together well and it can be done really well and i've had beers like that where it is overwhelmingly one and you can't really taste anything but that one flavor or it'll be overwhelmingly a very fake extracty kind of flavor Mm -hmm. and but people have gotten really good at making beers like that and still doing a good blend between all of them and then another one that i've i've didn't actually drink it i just saw it was in the homebrew competition somebody brought in that they they actually called it the romulan ale and literally just used corn syrup fermented out corn syrup and blue food coloring and it's not not a great thing to drink but I'm sure they had a lot of fun. Just like I was saying, looking at your, I'm sure they had a lot of fun looking at people's faces when they drank it. So, Oh my gosh. Were you, did you have to drink it? No, that, that, that one I was actually just helping with. I wasn't actually judging that one. So I, I, I could sit back and laugh at the faces that people made. But the judges were obligated to drink it. I think most. I think most of them. Like I think they ended up disqualifying it, but most of them just drank it just because they were really curious. Because homebrewers are always curious. They're always curious what kind of weird things they can do and what what it'll end up tasting like. And I'm sure that they were just glad somebody else tried it so that they could see what it tasted like, and then probably immediately spit it out. We we bring water to the beer competition. <laughs> Lemon infused water. So you said your Oktoberfest is the one beer that you would pick to drink for the rest of your life if you could pick one beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to guess that this is the question that you get asked more than anything, but what is your favorite beer here? Honestly, the, I, get asked, I do get asked that a lot. And a lot of times the way that I'll answer is that just, just like any parent, that beers are my kids. And I, there's certain ones that you like better than others most of the time, certain ones that are just kind of irritating at that moment. So you like a different one better. But for the most part, I tend to gravitate towards the sours and the big barrel-aged stuff. But Ventuva uh, is one of my favorite that we, that we package. But depending on what we have on tap, we've got it. I really like our Imperial IPA that we've that we've got right now. I like that style of beer sometimes, but it's it fluctuates a lot. There's not one certain beer that is always and always and every my favorite beer that we make. So 
Alrighty. All right, so the last one to taste here. I'm curious to see what you guys are going to like of this because that is an Imperial IPA. So it's a lot of hops, but it's a lot of tropical fruity kind of hops, and it is nine and a half percent alcohol. So it's a big beer, and you're going to kind of you're going to get that, and you're also going to get a lot of hops. So I'm curious how you guys are going to think of it. Mostly that, that that was just your beer to crack open into the mic. Speaking of faces, look at her face when you give her a can of Yeah, open. she's very very excited. I would just like to state that Brian hates it, but I have gotten multiple compliments on this addition to the podcast. So. So that means if people don't like it, they need to do a, a better job at telling you that they don't like it, too. <laughs> so clean. So clean. Not my nice best, in the tap but not my it. worst. <laughs> yeah, you guys can't. I don't think you guys are going to be able to hear it, but that it? rang out nicely in the room. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Kelsey missed. Kelsey's not a professional. I want to can into a glass. <laughs> Kelsey has no head on her Yeah, see, that's the way you're supposed to do it. So you get... uh, a vigorous pour. Is, Can I drink it, it out of here? Uh, you done with yeah, this? My... Uh, th- that is one thing I'll let you know. I, I don't see you guys on your snow if you're pouring them in the glasses or if you're drinking right out of the can, but you're, you're going to get a lot more character out of the beer if you do pour it into a glass than drink it out of the can. Oh, really? I'd say we go between, the yeah. Aroma- or the vigorous pour like that is going to bring out some of the aromatics. It's going to help with the head. But it's also the fact that drinking out of the can totally takes out the nose. It takes out the aroma that you're going to get from it, which a lot of the way that we perceive things is from the aroma. So that's that's the can is really just meant to be a storage vessel. You're not supposed to drink it out of the can. One year bartending at Applebee's, a uh, lifetime of tap beer. Look at the difference in the pours. <laughs> oh, that ASMR is going to be in there. Okay, so the, I get the hops right away, mm-hmm. but it also has like a smooth aftertaste to me. I was going to say, same thing. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's part of the malt bill of it. It's kind of built to be have that smooth aftertaste to it, and the... The hops, it does get double dry hopped, and just there's just a ridiculous amount of hops that go into this beer. But that's uh, a big thing is it's not super bitter. Even for an Imperial IPA, there's a lot of them where people just attack it with bitterness. And this is meant to really highlight the mostly Citra and Amarillo hops, which are some very popular, very fruity hops. And just kind of highlighting that. And then also you, you get some of the kind of the alcohol warmness after from it, too, so... Everything always sounds amazing the way he describes it. Like, he could describe a Miller Lite to me, and I'd be like, pour it up. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, and honestly, a lot of beers like that, there's there's things that they do really well. If, you, yeah. if Like, one of the other guys that used to work here, I was commenting about that, or he, he'd, he'd find really fresh Miller Lite sometimes, and he would drink the heck out of it, because it, it there's certain... Places like that do a really good job at making the exact same beer every time. They're very repeatable they're very consistent and if you can get it fresh a lot of times it can be a refreshing thing it, it not every beer has to be crazy hoppy not every beer has to be something that you break down what kind and guess what kind of malt they used in it kind of thing some beers can just be beer um so there's a big brewery in michigan called bells mm-hmm. and they release a oberon every summer every spring every summer and every year the oberon is is different per se and i can't pick it out but a lot of the a lot of diehard Oberon fans will be like, oh, you know, this year's batch is such and such and such. And this year's mm-hmm. batch is... I don't know if that's... I don't know how much of that is realistic. 
I guess I, I've had Oberon plenty of times. I've, it's not something where I really compare it in my mind to the previous year's Oberon or something like that. But I, I know that there there is a lot of beers that you do that for, and there's actually, if speaking of Michigan stuff, there's a lot of like founders or central waters and stuff like that that do a lot of the big barrel aged beers that a lot of people will do what's called verticals where they'll actually will have a certain beer from that brewery where we'll have five different years of it and then that way we can kind of compare them side by side and see how it changed over time one year might be a little bit more mellow one year you might get a little bit more vanilla out of the barrels stuff like that so that's that's a real popular thing to do when you get into some of the really big beers that really hold up well we're not going to do a vertical of green 19 because obviously the fresher it is, it's going to taste better. That's kind of how that style works. I was gonna say but when it comes thing. into some of those big barrel aged beers, they can really change and really be cool over time. So I like to read the back of cans because it does help me with what I'm supposed to be saying. And I'm glad that what I felt when I drank this is what the can kind of says is that it hits you with the hops, but then it's got like a clean taste afterwards. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, our Imperial IPA smacks you in the nose with fruity, citrus-like hops, attacks your taste buds with intense hop flavor, then soothes your palate with its clean, dry finish so you can come back for more. Do you come up with that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's one of them I wrote. So. Oh, that's awesome. I, I try to be artistic every once in a while. So. <laughs> and where you may not have the answer, your wife does. So that's exactly. fantastic. Yeah, she's, <laughs> that's a good partnership. She's very helpful with that kind of stuff because she's a lot more creative than I am, so. Alrighty. Um, well, I think we will wrap it up with that. Um, we are excited because we still get to do a tour, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can even drink some more beer on the tour, too. I'm, I want to, well, the thing is, I know I like Johnny Blood Red. I want to try the Dark Helmet, but the Cool Beans, I need another one of those, too. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> Guys, we heavily encourage you to check out this brewery. I mean... This, the place alone is fantastic. The feel here, I was telling him when we first came in, it really reminds me of where I got married, like just that industrial feel. But I could just see you like hanging out here with a group of friends, like really enjoying your afternoon. So I almost want to come here on a game day Sunday. Oh, I'm sure it's exciting. You don't need to go to the game. Just come here and, you know, hang out and watch the game here. It is absolutely a blast and it's a crazy atmosphere when we have. All, all the different fans coming into town and you'll, you'll have different fans of different teams that'll just butt up next to each other at the bar and just talk to each other. It's, it's, that's one of the great things about places like this is you can meet people and you only meet them that day and just have a blast. And then we, we've got the uh, 10 kind of switching out pinball machines right behind you guys that we have a lot of fun with seeing what people do on those. We actually, at a lot of them actually, I think there's at least two of them where this was the first place where there were where that particular pinball machine was available to the public. So we get a lot of cool new ones coming in. We the, there's a Hot Wheels one that at one point we had the world record scored on that machine, which is just crazy That's to think insane. of. And we don't even know who it was. The, the score just showed up, and we were like trying to reach out on our Facebook to find out who it was. But and no one claimed it. Nobody. Nobody claimed. We even offered free beer to whoever whoever did it. And they must not look at Facebook. But we. Oh, he's right here. It's, it's, <laughs> just it's, kidding. It's really it's really cool to be able to see. And we have groups that come in and just play, just drink beer and play pinball. It's really cool. Or just drink beer and we set up bags in the tap room and play cornhole and it's a lot of fun. So we up on the rooftop we've got kind of an indoor outdoor type thing and we'll. Uh, We'll have bands set up in the out, outdoor part, so they're on the fourth fourth floor, and just behind the band is just downtown Green Bay and the river and everything. It's absolutely beautiful. No, so I did notice the pinball machines, but now that you say that, 
There's a Mandalorian pinball machine, which, as our fans know, that just came out two years ago. There's a Walking Dead machine. Like, these machines have to be, like, really new. That's, yeah, the, the, there's, a, there's actually a local guy that just collects a ton of them and just switches them out to keep them kind of fresh. And uh, we'll have certain ones that he just feels like he wants to play in for a while, and he'll set it up. And they'll, they'll actually, he owns a local business, so every once in a while, like, once every other day, he'll just come in with some guys and he'll just play pinball for a little bit and head out. And it's, it's really cool to see. And he's got a nice mix of kind of really vintage, like, 60s pinball. And then some, uh, we've got a Star Trek one from the 90s and then a bunch of other really new ones. The, there's an Oktoberfest one that's really cool and really popular. So it, it, we have a lot of fun with the pinball. What an awesome atmosphere. That is so cool. I wish that we had something like this in Jackson, Wisconsin, but we and, don't. And, and you can't go wrong with Tekken 3 up, too, so... Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. You want to mention the pitches, the job openings? Yeah, there? so which ones are open? Um, we just wanted to give a shout out in case there is anybody. Yeah, yeah so, so we are looking to kind of expand our sales force because that, that, that's something we are trying to push our, our beer as much as we can into the rest of the state. We're actually hiring a sales rep in the Madison and Milwaukee area right now, so we're kind of looking for somebody that's living down there that can kind of go, go out to accounts and give out samples and talk to people and be able to work with their distributors down there. And a lot of it's working events and going and basically just sitting in a liquor store pouring samples for people and talking about beer. So it's, it's a really cool job because you can get, literally get paid to just drink beer and talk about beer most of your day. It's, it's hard work because it's, it's a lot of leg work too of kind of following up with leads and whatnot. But it's, it, it's definitely a cool thing to be able to just be able to go out and sell beer to people. So definitely if you guys have a passion for it, I mean, we definitely would heavily encourage it. Um, fantastic brewery. So, If Jed is any representation of the rest of his team, you guys would have a blast working in a position like that. And I know that uh, a lot of my friends in Milwaukee have marketing backgrounds, so this might be right up your alley. So uh, check their Facebook out. Um, you can just search Tattletown Brewing on Facebook, and there's a bunch of info on there. So. Uh, we would like to thank Jed one more time for having us up here, and we are going to take our tour now. Yeah, and thank you guys for taking the trip up here. It's been fantastic having you. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye.